Hi, it's Jonathan Mosin welcoming you to episode 62 of Mosin at Large. And this time, it's all about audiobooks. Do you like them better than reading with your text-to-speech engine or braille display? What makes a good audiobook narration? And we introduce you to Libro.fm. Mosin at Large Podcast. You're very welcome to contribute to the podcast, and there are two ways to do it. You can drop me an email to Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com. You can write something in that email or you can attach an audio recording using anything that records and that you can attach to an email. You can also call the listener line. That number is in the United States. It's 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736 and record a message that could be included in the podcast. Concise contributions always help. We can't include everything because of the volume of contributions we receive. And please note that if we do use your content, we reserve the right to edit it for clarity and brevity. You can follow Mosin at Large, all one word, on Twitter to join the conversation with other listeners, to get sneak peeks about what's coming up on the podcast, and I regularly tweet links that I think will be of interest to Mosin at Large listeners. To keep up to date with Mosin at Large and radio-related activities I'm doing, you can subscribe to our media email list. It's announcements only, and the traffic is very light. To do that, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at mosin.org. The podcast version of this show contains extracts from the full version, which is heard live on Mushroom FM at mushroomfm.com and anywhere that you listen to radio stations at 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time on a Saturday afternoon. For the full Mosin at Large experience, I encourage you to be part of that community. And finally, before we get into the episode this week, a reminder that this podcast is long, and to help you navigate past the bits that you aren't interested in to the bits that you are, it's segmented by chapters. If you have a podcast app capable of supporting chapters, and many on iOS and Android do this, you can skip between segments of the show. Over the years, through blog posts and podcasts I've done, I have spoken on occasion with considerable pride of the contribution that blindness technology has ended up making to the mainstream. We can find many examples of it, but perhaps the most impactful is the audiobook, a concept that was designed in, I think, the 1930s, we go back that far, for blind people to have access to books. Perhaps they weren't Braille readers, or perhaps they just wanted efficient access to audiobooks. And that has really gone mainstream. It is a commercial industry now, the audiobook industry, with a lot of money. And, of course, online, the biggest player is audible.com. Later on this show, we're going to be talking about another player, Libro.fm, that does have some advantages compared with Audible. And we'll talk about all of that a little bit later. But blind people are definitely major audiobook connoisseurs. They have strong views on this. They feel passionately about audiobooks as a rule. One of the most popular features of gender items at any blindness convention is when they have somebody from the blindness library talking and or when there is a narrator who is talking and you get to hear it's almost like you're listening to a rock star, you know, somebody who's read books to you, you feel an affinity with them like you know them. And then they come and talk at these conventions or conferences, and that is really well attended and looked forward to. So I thought we'd have a talk about audiobooks and what you think of them. What makes a good audiobook narrator? Have you ever had a book that has just been narrated so badly and you were really looking forward to the book that you actually gave up on it 
because you just couldn't stand the narration. And if that's happened to you, what did you do in that eventuality? Did you go and get the book in another format, say reading it with text to speech or Braille, if you are a Braille reader? Or did you just abandon the book altogether? One of Bonnie's pet peeves is that she feels like audiobooks have become more like dramatic performances rather than readings of the book, and of course some of them now use multiple narrators. I must admit that over the years I've become less inclined myself to read audiobooks. I enjoy reading them in Braille, and I also enjoy, and in some cases prefer, to use text-to-speech. I will often buy an audiobook that has been narrated by the author. And I find that that's good because you kind of get them telling their own story. So I will get, say, Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, which I really enjoyed her narrating. I also had to get John Burko's book, who is the former Speaker of the United Kingdom, and John Humphreys, also a former broadcaster. I think he might be still lurking about in the United Kingdom. So I really do enjoy it when a figure whose voice I'm really familiar with reads their own material. But there have also been times, now the Mary Trump book, Too Much and Never Enough, is an example of this. I saw that Mary Trump was narrating the audiobook, and so I decided to get that. But then about halfway through it, I thought, oh my goodness, this is a bit laborious. I'm just going to finish this off on TTS, and I was able to finish it a lot quicker. And I know that some people say, ah, man, I just can't stand all that robotic voice stuff reading to me. For me, I don't notice it. It's just... I've been using text to speech so long that it's almost like I'm not noticing the voice and it's just getting into my brain the information that I need. And I find that quite efficient. So I read a lot of books from Apple Books and from Kindle and love working that way. But I have no doubt at all that I'm in the minority there. So we thought we'd open it up and just talk about audiobooks and uh, get your wisdom. Here's Bruce Taves to start us off. He says... I used to prefer reading books in Braille, with a lowercase b, until I started doing so for a living. I still often like to pick up a good Star Trek book or an Inspector Banks book and just read it in Braille, though for my leisure reading, I generally prefer audiobooks. I proofread Braille for a living, so outside of work hours, sometimes I just want to get away from continuous Braille for a bit. There have been times when the narrator has turned me off of a book. Classic example, the Harry Potter series. I couldn't get into the first several narrators of the series I found. I gave up on the series for several years until I finally found the Stephen Fry narration. As someone with a hearing problem, I look for a narrator whose voice isn't too growly and who speaks clearly without sounding synthetic. My favourite narration of all time is John Chance's narration of my favourite fiction book of all time, 112263 by Stephen King. He really made the book come alive for me. If I really like a book, I try to find as many audio versions of it as I possibly can. For example, my favourite series in existence is Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. You may have figured this out by now, Jonathan. So far, I've collected two NLS narrations of the series, Adam's reading it himself, the RNIB reading, and the commercial versions featuring Stephen Fry and Martin Freeman. Anyone have any additional readings of the series or another reading of 112263, asks Bruce. 
Sometimes they just pick the wrong narrator for a book. In Alice, for example, picked David Cutler to read the ultimate Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He's good for non-fiction, but for hitchhikers, I find him very difficult to listen to. I try very hard not to actually put down the person, even though I may dislike his or her reading. Sometimes blind people forget that these narrators are people too, and make some very hurtful comments about them. I've done it in the past, and I'm not proud of it. And don't forget, for the best in radio comedy and drama, says Bruce, check out Mushroom FM's sister station, Mushroom Escape, which can be found on your favourite radio app, Smart Speaker, or at www.mushroomfm.com slash escape. Thanks for that email, Bruce. A number of interesting points. If the 112263 narration you are talking about is the one on Audible, I did actually read the Audible narration of it, and it was very good. It's a good book. I'm still amazed that Bonnie slept through the pound cake bit when she read it, which is just extraordinary to me. But anyway, what can you do? The Harry Potter narration is the most polarizing narration that I am personally aware of. There are some who just think the Jim Dale reading is brilliant and others who think that the Jim Dale reading is terrible and Stephen Fry's is vastly superior. They had to release different audio versions in the US and the UK because, of course, the books are slightly different. Even the title of the first book is different in the US from the UK. And apparently they feel like they have to immunize Americans against British English, which is a bit extraordinary, really. It's sort of insulting (laughs) the intelligence of American readers. But I do have both of those audio narrations. And for me, there is just no contest. The Stephen Fry narration is a lot more consistent and just superior to me. But it's a wonderful series, no matter how it's read. Derry Lawler is in Ireland and says, Hi, Jonathan. Hope you're keeping well. All good here in Ireland. Still working from home and so far doing okay. Audiobooks. My favourite narrator for audiobooks is Simon Vance. Ah, he reads lots of James Bond-type books. You can tell who is talking with his super voices. I do enjoy all of his content. Also, all of Geoffrey Archer's books, especially the Clifton Chronicles, they were read so well. Recently, I find the books read by lots of people, sometimes performed, do not appeal to me. I use an app on the iPhone called Voice Dream Reader, and I read so many books using Tom Enhanced Voice TTS, or in Braille, which is probably the best way. I do not even hear the synthetic speech anymore. Oh, so you're another one. Well, that's good. Thank you, Derry. Good to hear from you. We had, and have, of course, a talking book library run by the Blindness Agency in New Zealand, and I'm very pleased to say that they refused to let children of my generation access the talking book library until they were confident that we had good Braille skills, because they didn't want the talking books to detract from our attention to those fundamental literacy skills that would stand us in good stead for life. Very sensible decision. So I think I was finally about 10 or 11 when I got access to talking books. And we used to get a lot of material read by the RNIB, the uh, British organization. We would get lots sent over from there. So it was good to hear some BBC announcers that I had heard in other contexts And also, of course, many New Zealanders narrating from the broadcast industry and actors and elsewhere who were kind of like household names, some of whom I later worked with in radio. 
So it's really cool when you hear somebody who you identify with through other contexts doing a good job of narrating an audio book. Merv Smith, some of his stuff's gone international, I think, and he also did a tremendous job of narrating the Harry Potter books. Maribel in Australia says, being visually impaired, I have my share of listening to Jaws on a daily basis, and so I am not keen for the synthesizer voice to read me an entire book. I like to think the narrator is my personal bard, and I often choose an audio book by previewing a sample to hear the narrator's tone and delivery. Within 60 seconds, I know if I can live with that voice in my head for the duration of the book. Interestingly, not all authors who choose to read their books make great narrators for me. A good narrator is able to put real feeling into the character's tone, read at a pace I feel is not too rushed or too slow, and the recording itself is free of any background noises. A great narrator is able to take the text and interpret it in such a way it sounds fresh and engaging, whereas some authors rush the text as they know it so well. I learned an interesting lesson recently. I do have a favourite British narrator called Jilly Bond. I even wrote to her to say how much I enjoyed her narration. Then I looked up audiobooks she had recorded and made a list. The only problem in following a favourite narrator is that the content of each book may not be the type you like, and it was hard going listening to a genre I wouldn't usually choose, even with a narrator I have enjoyed listening to in the past. As some might say, go figure. Thanks, Maribel. I'd be interested to hear whether there are others who like a narrator so much that they look up the work that they have done and order specifically those books because the narrator is narrating them. Interesting. And whether people do write fan mail to their favourite audiobook narrator. John says when choosing an audiobook to purchase via Audible, I employ several criteria. One, the length of the book. I do not want to waste a credit on a book which is only one or two hours long. I prefer the book to be about five hours or more. Two, the narrator, which is harder to pin down as I do not know how to describe my preferences. However, my favourite narrators over the years have been Stephen Fry, narrator of the Harry Potter audiobooks. Yes, you're lucky enough to have him in Australia where you live. Paul Michael, narrator of some Dan Brown books, Robbie Damond, and other narrators. For other narrators, the play sample option comes in useful. I have not come across a bad narrator per se, but a monotonous narrator is always boring. Most books I listen to are written by popular authors, which tend to get tried and true narrators, to my knowledge. Bonnie is right in saying that dramatic readings are taking off, I am aware of this particularly in the Star Wars series where this has been received very favourably. I would only switch to TTS because of two reasons, cost and duration. The pay-per-listen model of Audible is much more expensive than the Netflix style of Bookshare. It also takes shorter when Jaws reads out a book to you as compared to a human narrator. I have been using Audible for 11 years so far and have been loving it. Yes, and I should stress that I don't think I would ever read a book 
on my PC anymore. I do have the Kindle app for my PC, and that seems to be quite usable these days. But all the time, when I'm reading books, I use my iPhone for that, either in Voice Dream Reader, if I can, or secondarily with the Kindle and Apple Books apps. And it's a good experience. Yes, you can also buy audiobooks from the Apple Books app, and they are mighty expensive as well. But it's interesting that I can get some audiobooks on Apple Books that just don't show up on Audible in my region. Regarding dramatic narrations, I really did enjoy the His Dark Materials series from Philip Pullman. Back in 2011, I got those on Audible. I believe it was Angie Matney who recommended those to me. And I read all three audiobooks over our lovely long summer of 2011 going into 2012. Absolutely loved them. Partly because one of the characters was played by Alison Dowling, who plays Elizabeth in The Archers. Wow, what's not to like? So sometimes those dramatic performances work well. Bonnie and I also recently listened to the book on phone freaking. I think, yes, it's just called Freaks, and that was a dramatic performance as well, and we thoroughly enjoyed that. Jason writes, For me, no narrator has ever been quite as good as Frank Muller. He recorded many books, including several by Stephen King, such as the first four books of the Dark Tower series. Unfortunately, he had a serious motorcycle accident in 2001, which ended his narrating career, and he died in 2008. I still get excited whenever I download a book and find out that it was narrated by Muller. Andy is writing in and says, Yo, bro, sup? Love the show. Oh, well, like, totally rad, dude. Anyway, Andy continues, I'm a huge reader, mostly via TTS and with a Focus 40 Blue, the first generation device from 2009 or so, with the nav row buttons, whiz wheels, etc. I grew up reading books from NLS on cassette, and later in 2005 or so, RFBND, Learning Ally, with Bookshare and with the APH Bookport. I still have the original book port. It's an amazing device. The main reason I like to read via TTS or Braille, with an uppercase B, is to get information quickly. A lot of books from Audible and even NLS are more like performances. And while that's interesting, I'm mainly interested in content. Voice Dream Reader is awesome for this on iOS. I get EPUB books and read away. The Mac also has the Books app, and Windows has apps for this also. One area where I find audio helps me, though, is textbooks. There is something about a human narrator reading a textbook that helps me focus, and especially with Learning Ally, they describe images, etc. Like I said, I like to get access to the information quickly, as you do too, it seems. And Learning Allies' no-nonsense way of presenting it helps. The only other time I'll read an audio is when an author narrates the book. For instance, when I was younger, I was obsessed with a series of unfortunate events, a series of 13 books designed for children. The author, Daniel Handler, read a few in the series, so I made sure to listen to those. It was very interesting to listen to him narrate his own books. As for Larry Scootcon, he'll be missed for sure. I learned to type in 2002 or so, when I was eight, with Talking Typer. 
I used MathFlash to help me with elementary level mathematics. Studio Recorder is amazing, and I even used to use Book Wizard Reader back before FS Reader to read Daisy content. If you're listening, sir, enjoy retirement and all the best. Cheers, bro, says Andy, <laughs> and thanks for all the work you do putting the show together. Greets from NJ. And Andy, you do bring back a lot of memories for me because not all the audiobooks we've consumed over the years have been professionally produced. I also got some RFBND books in the days when they sent them here, when they were on cassette. So we're talking the 1980s when I was reading those. And we also had a taping service, a transcription service that was run here in New Zealand. And they were recorded using volunteers. I think they might have even used the APH four-track machines, which actually made very nice recordings with either the built-in mic or an external mic. They were great machines. And I used to get mesmerized, actually. This is sort of a crossover between the old technology we've been talking about and this audio book topic. But I used to get mesmerized putting my finger in the little slot on the cassette lid and you could feel the wheel going round and round showing you that the tape was still spinning and of course being the nit that I was I would try and stop that from spinning to see what would happen it never ended well there were also voluntary books produced in Australia by a company called Hear a Book and they started coming out at least in New Zealand in the 1970s the late 70s and I remember reading a lot from there, Agatha Christie books, a lot of Catherine Cooks and that sort of stuff, all narrated by volunteers from Hero Book. And some of the quality was a bit dubious, but quite a few of the narrators were really very good. And you just pick them up in this big string of cassettes. You know, a long book might be in nine or ten cassettes. These were designed for the general public not just blind people, so they were standard cassettes recorded at standard speed. I don't know if Hero Book is still going in Australia. I suspect not, but a lot of stuff came from there. Rebecca Skipper's in touch. She says, I like the dramatic performances and do not mind multiple narrators. I'm a Star Trek fan. Well, live long and prosper, Rebecca. That's what I say. And love the way Robert Petkoff narrates books. I always listen to a sample of the book before purchase. I prefer to listen to books narrated by the author, but I am grateful of having multiple ways to enjoy content. One of the advantages of audiobooks is that I can escape from the world and pretend I'm somewhere else until reality hits. I would read more Braille with an uppercase B in books if I could figure out a way to read BRF or BRL files from my classic Focus 40, the one with the whiz wheels. Is there a program that would allow you just to read the BRF file as is without interference or translation from JAWS? I have Open Book, Send to Braille, and Braille Blaster, so I could back translate the file but really do not want to do this. Actually, I think the easiest way to do it, Rebecca, would be to load the Braille file in whatever you want to read it with, HJPad or Notepad or even Microsoft Word, just load it in there and then turn JAWS's Braille translation off. 
You can just do that temporarily or you can save the setting. So let's say you have HJPad on your computer, which you will if you have JAWS, but you don't tend to use it daily. You could go into HJPad, run the application, and then bring up the JAWS Settings Center, and the HJPad settings will load by default. Go into your Braille settings and turn translation off, and then save that setting for HJPad, and there you go. You'll be able to load the BRF file into HJPad and read away. Hey, Jonathan, it's a very interesting topic audiobooks which you've chosen as a point of discussion for your Mozen at large podcast what i feel is for me personally i prefer audiobooks to tts uh, 10 out of 10 times the only time i would uh, use uh, my tts or screen reader to read books is if their education material of this history and i'm not reading for pleasure if i'm reading for pleasure it's always audiobooks the narrator can make or break a book so an average book uh, you know you can enjoy an average book 10 times more if the narrator is of a high quality my current uh, favorite narrators are michael kramer uh, steven pacey who is a very good combination with the author joe abercrombie in the first lot trilogy and nick podolo oh my god he is really kicking it nowadays i mean uh, the chaos seeds the seven books of the land he is just out of the world nick podolo has really go- grown as a audiobook narrator since i started listening and uh, some of the audiobooks nowadays are dramatized uh, so if there are two like up to two narrators it is fine but if it, there are several one it becomes a bit distracting it becomes more of an audio drama rather than audio book so when we read audio books or when we can uh, you know listen to audio books the experience on iphone is so simplistic and you know uh, holistic and listening to audio books gives you an experience uh, which i can never get with a tts or a screen reader i must be pretty rare says tristan clare but i'm not actually a fan of narrated audio although i love reading aloud myself i'll listen to it if there's no other way to consume material but my first preference is to read something in braille with a lowercase b or tts if i'm in a hurry the reason for this is that part of the reading experience for me is being able to imagine what the characters of a book would sound like in real life i like to give them the voices of people i know and i generally stay pretty consistent throughout the book with narrated audio the narrator imposes his or her idea of what they think the characters sound like and this takes away the most enjoyable part of the reading experience for me Of course the downside of reading in braille is that I can't multitask while reading so for information that I need to consume quickly or if the story is interesting but the writing is pedestrian I'll use TTS instead that way I can switch between braille and TTS plus I can pause the reading and check spelling I also find Apple books less expensive easier to download and less demanding of storage space There are a few exceptions though. The best audiobook I ever read was A Dangerous Vine, which is written and read by Barbara Ewing. The story contains phrases in Māori plus snatches of songs from the 1950s, which the author sings in tune. In that case, the whole reading experience was enhanced by having the book narrated with expression. In the hands of a bad narrator, it would have been a far less compelling book. but these are rare exceptions i've experienced narrators who sang songs out of tune 
mispronounced names and struggled with accents. I find that American narrators in particular struggle with accents that are outside the US. Very few people who aren't Australian can do a proper Australian accent. They always exaggerate it and end up sounding like Paul Hogan in Crocodile Dundee. That kind of accent is archaism these days, especially in urban areas. I once had to give up on a book whose narrator was just unlistenable. Here in Australia, our blindness agencies have transferred all of their audio books to downloadable audio format. Many of them are professionally recorded books from sites such as Berlinda or Audible. But there are quite a lot of older books that have been digitally remastered from the old talking book cassettes. Often the audio quality is horrible and some of the narration is pretty bad. I had to give up on a free version of The Daughters of Mars by Thomas Keneally because I couldn't stand the voice of the narrator. She was a competent reader, but there was something slightly off about her inflection. It was so bad, I ended up purchasing the book on iBooks and reading it with TTS because at least then I was primed to expect a less inflected reading voice. I've since reread the book with refreshable braille and have decided that Thomas Keneally books are supposed to be savoured like a good dessert, not consumed quickly. As for my thoughts on audiobooks becoming more like performances, I'm in two minds. I see where Bonnie is coming from. Audiobooks have changed a lot in the last 20 years. When I was growing up, talking books were cassettes that came in the mail. They were often read by unskilled elderly volunteers in their home. What you got was a straight reading of the book. Now, audiobooks have become a commodity that sighted people are willing to pay big money for. This means that companies who produce audiobooks can hire professional actors to do the narrating, and they have better recording facilities. If I were a consumer of audiobooks and I was paying money for them, I'd probably want a bit of bang for my buck. So I think the performed audiobooks are here to stay. Thanks, Tristan. And you do bring up an interesting point about American narrators. When I first went to England, my first visit there in the late 1980s, I was sort of amused and I guess a bit perplexed that there were a number of blind people I talked to from the UK who just did not want, refused to listen to any books narrated by American narrators. They sort of thought that the books were poorly read and crass and they just didn't want anything. And they would specify, you know, in their RNIB profiles that they didn't want books by American narrators. Magical Matt Campbell is in touch and says, I listened to the latest episode of Mosin at Large and I'm glad to hear that you'll be covering Libro.fm in the next episode. I've been a happy Libro.fm customer for several months now. I use it because I want to avoid DRM as much as possible. I've actually bought DRM-free audiobooks from various sources for several years, but I kept going back to Audible because none of the other stores had nearly as large a selection. I still miss some Audible exclusives, but aside from that, Libro.fm has a great catalogue, and I plan to keep using it. As for what I use to play these audiobooks, I currently use Android, and the best DRM-free audiobook player I've found so far is an app called Smart Audiobook Player. On iOS, 
I used an app called Bound. One thing that makes me happy about DRM-free content is that I have a choice of players, and if I was so inclined, I could write my own. Mate! Hi, Jonathan says Kelly Superger. I hope things are going well with you and everyone else listening. Weather-wise, it's already starting to feel like fall here in Saskatchewan, Canada. It's been rather windy the last few days, sometimes getting up to around 80 kilometres per hour. I am a huge fan of audiobooks, though I also like reading Braille with an uppercase B, or e-books as well. When it comes to commercial audiobooks, I prefer unabridged versions whenever possible. Usually, if an abridged version is the only option, I listen to it first, then try to get the book in another format so I can read it in its entirety. For example, one of my favourite non-fiction books is Here, There and Everywhere by Jeff Emmerich regarding when he helped engineer the Beatles recordings back in the 60s along with George Martin. Martin Jarvis, one of my favourite narrators, did an excellent job of reading the abridged version, but I wish he could have read the complete book, as there were additional chapters that didn't get abridged. I finally ended up downloading it from Bookshare. Speaking of Bookshare, or ebooks in general, I don't mind reading these with a TTS voice, but I do wish they could convey a person's emotions. That's why I prefer to listen to fiction books, for instance, that are read by human narrators. The one advantage I find with TTS voices is that I can choose who I want to read to me in Voice Dream Reader for iOS or Text Aloud for Windows. I generally prefer Bridget from NeoSpeech or Sharon from Archipella for female narrators and NeoSpeech James or Paul for male readers. It's rare for me to give up listening to a commercial audiobook, but it happens. I recently discovered a true crime book about a case I had been following, but I'm glad I listened to a sample on audible.com first as I couldn't stand the narrator. He sounded robotic, unenthusiastic, and just didn't seem to care about what he was reading. As I like to say, I saved a bunch of money. In this case, however, I didn't try to get the book in a different format as Amazon and Audible reviews weren't very favourable, not just with the narrator, but the information given as well. I'll wait until a better one comes along. As for audiobooks with multiple narrators, I personally have no problem with this, as long as the narration or dramatic performance is good. There are times when adding sound effects and music enhances a book, as it helps to better convey what's going on. Listening to these reminds me of the read-along books I got when I was young. I obviously couldn't follow along with the printed book, but the audio was always good. I've been having fun digitizing those old cassettes and records, and listening to them brings back lots of great memories. Thank you, Kelly. I remember those. You'll know it's time to turn the page when Tinkerbell rings her little bell like this. <laughs> yes, I've been with Audible since 1997, and there were a lot of abridged books back then, probably because it took a long time to download the files and broadband connections and storage weren't what they are today. But abridged books in audio form were a big deal. Now, not so much. It's very rarely that I find abridged titles on Audible when I look. Jake Joel says, I wanted to chime in about audiobooks, specifically the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. 
I have been a proud NLS patron since about 1985 and cannot recommend them highly enough. The material is all free and the wide variety makes the service a must-have in my opinion. We here in the US have of course been dealing with a lot of racism lately and I am currently reading a book written by Dr. Ibram M. Kendi. A neighbour and I attempted to read another book by this author entitled How to Be an Anti-Racist, but we found that one confusing in some parts, so this neighbour recommended Stamped from Beginning, the Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. I immediately logged in to my Bard account, searched for the book and found it straight away. So I immediately added it to my wish list and am now reading it. The narrator is Bob Moore, whose work I have heard in the past. I've honestly been impressed with all NLS narrators which I've heard to date, and Mr. Moore is no exception. I also like the fact that commercial publications are available on BARD and hope they continue to be available. Cory Doctorow wrote a blog post recently that grabbed my attention because he talked about a service that I had not heard of prior to that blog post called Libro FM, and it's an alternative to Audible and much more. And so I thought that we would reach out and find out a bit more about this, and we have a couple of people to tell us about it. Nick Johnson, who's one of the founders of Libro FM. Hi, Nick. It's good to have you here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. And we also have Robert Kinjit with us, who has been providing some accessibility consultancy to make sure that uh, all the apps and the, the, the services are behaving. So welcome to you, Robert, as well. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with you, Nick. How did you get this idea? Because this is a bit of a David and Goliath story, isn't it? Yes, it's uh, it's very much a David and Goliath story. Um, the idea actually came from my co-founder, Mark Pearson. He is our CEO, and he owned a or owns a publishing company, a small publishing company in Seattle. And he was recognizing the growth of audio, gosh, what, seven, eight, nine years ago, and um, wanting to you know put his titles out on audio, but noticed that if he did that, he couldn't actually sell them that easily through independent bookstores. And independent bookstores were really um, a big part of his success as a publisher. And so he saw this kind of niche um, that needed to be filled. And he and I and our other co-founder were all college friends and had lived together at college and all actually had had the idea for a while of starting to bu- a business together, but really didn't know what that business should be. And when he came to us with this idea, we all just thought it was fantastic. We're all big fans of books and bookstores and whatnot. And so we just kind of ran with it. Was he not able to sell to bookstores because essentially people had moved away from CDs and so you couldn't put audio CDs in the bookstore anymore? Exactly. You know, very few stores had um, had audio CDs or if they did, it was a pretty small limited uh, collection in the far back corner. So he'd want his authors as he, they're doing their book tours and stopping by these fantastic independent bookstores. He, you know, would want them to promote the audiobook, but if they promoted the audiobook, it was really driving sales to Audible, which is owned by Amazon, which is the largest competitor to independent bookstores. So, you know, he felt really conflicted about having his authors promote the audiobook without them actually being able to purchase it in a convenient way through that independent bookstore. So I understand the way that Libro FM works from my point of view as a consumer here in New Zealand, but talk to me a bit more about the interface between what you're doing and the bookstores. How does that interface actually take place? 
Yeah. So basically what happens is a bookstore can partner with us uh, completely for free. There, there's no cost whatsoever for a bookstore to work with us. And I think we have about 1,300 bookstores right now, mostly in the United States and North America, but we are starting to go international, New Zealand included. So they partner with us and we basically create a white branded version of our website. So if a customer comes to Libre FM through their local bookstore, it shows their local bookstore's logo and has their local bookstore's name. It says powered by Libre FM. And when they create their account and either buy an audiobook or start a membership, that we basically split the profits with the bookstore. So we keep a portion of it and a portion of it goes to that bookstore. If a customer comes to Libro not through a specific local bookstore, so they're not following a link on their website or social media, then we actually ask them what store they want to support and they could choose from our list of 1,300 stores. And now they're supporting that store with not only that purchase on that day, but any future purchase they make throughout the life of their relationship with Libro. The only way that switches is if they decide to support a different bookstore, which we do have some customers who on different days decide to support different stores. Now, I know from my experience as an advocate dealing with copyright legislation that authors and publishers, they're pretty tough customers to deal with. How how easy was it for you to um, get the rights that you enjoy now? Because my understanding is that your selection bar the audible specific titles that they produce Mm -hmm. themselves is fairly equivalent. Yes, yes. We have about, oh gosh, 95, 98% of bestsellers. And, you know, as you just mentioned, really the only thing we don't have are Audible exclusives or Audible originals right now. And then, of course, a lot of people self-publish through Amazon and Audible, and, and we don't have that those titles. But as I said, a majority of bestsellers and whatnot, we do have to get to that point um, with the copyright issues and to have it be DRM free took a lot of work. And really, some publishers were really on board with it and they were re- really forward thinking and they had no problem releasing their titles uh, DRM free. And then some of the publishers were a little bit more hesitant. They're bigger publishers and, and were, you know, kind of set in their ways and were a little bit uh, hesitant to move forward. But for the most part, pretty much every publisher, at least in the North America market, has come around to this model. Some of the international publishers are are slowly coming towards it, but you know it's been really publisher specific. But uh, it, it definitely took some work, some phone calls and emails and whatnot. But we got there in the end. Now, if I lapse into geek speak, I will get slapped over the wrist and be <laughs> flooded with emails. So DRM, digital rights management, talk to me a bit about that and what the implications for users are. Yeah, it basically means when you purchase the audiobook, you actually own the audiobook. We call it cage-free audiobooks, and we actually have a blog post about it. But um, it means that it's actually your audiobook. You can listen to it how you want to listen to it. You can download the files and do whatever. So, you know, the easiest way through Libro is to obviously listen through our app because it syncs and it's immediate and all that. But if you don't want to do it that way, you actually have access to the native MP3 files. You could download them onto your computer. You could burn them onto a CD and a cassette. You can put them into any player of your choice, and they are 100% yours. Where if it's rights managed, such as Audible, um, you have to listen through one of their devices, either through their app or or some other device of theirs. And you're truly, you know, at the simplest sense, you're actually renting the audiobook. You know, if you were to 
you know, completely cancel your Amazon account. So not your Audible account, but your kind of parent Amazon account. If you were to completely cancel and delete your Amazon account, any audiobook you would have bought through Audible is gone. And so you don't really own it. You're basically doing a long-term rental. So for us, DRM free is, you know, true ownership of the product that you're buying. If I'm an author, I'd be thinking, well, what's to stop one person buying the book and then it turns up everywhere on all sorts of dodgy sites and I never get compensated for my intellectual property? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a concern. I mean, that's a concern with, you know, anything. That's a concern with a paperback book or hardcover book. You know, people are handing it out or putting it in little free libraries or scanning it and putting it on the internet. I mean, it, it is possible, but it really just doesn't seem to happen that often. You know, most people have kind of caught on to that. You know, we kind of had this, you know, this battle 15 years ago with music and Napster and LimeWire and people, you know, doing it that way. And then people realized that, you know, if you, you get it out there, People are willing to pay for that content if it's, you know, good content. And so it really hasn't been that big of an issue. It's just the audiobook industry is a little bit behind some of the other industries, most notably the music industry. It's a very good point because I remember buying things from iTunes that were DRM protected, which meant that Mm -hmm. you just couldn't put it on a standard music player or even load another piece Mm -hmm. of software on your computer that played the M4A file format and listen to it. It was really restricted. And then Apple took the DRM off, I guess, after working with the music industry to take them on that journey. I mean, that must have been oh, 2005 or six or somewhere around there that that started to happen. Why is Audible still following this model of locking its content down so tightly? And as we've heard on episodes of the podcast recently, creating all sorts of hassle for uh, blind people who want to consume the content in a certain way. You know, I honestly don't know. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know. Obviously, the inner workings of their decisions and, and why they're why they're doing it that way. You you know, being as big as they are and with all the resources they are, you, you know, think they would have put some thought and some effort into this and kind of you know tried to be on the forefront of things. But um, you know, I really can't answer that. I just know for ourselves, we want to make sure that you know we're on the forefront of technology and and how people want to consume content. But we also want to make sure that everything we make is accessible, not just for, you know, uh, disabled communities and, and people with sighted issues and things of that nature. But just in general, we want people to be able to get content. We want independent bookstores to be able to sell the content. We want libraries to be able to have the content and be able to rent out that content. You know, we personally believe that content or I, as I think uh, Corey's written, Corey Doctorow has written a lot about this, about information wanting to be free and wanting to be out there. And we're big advocates of that. And I'm not quite sure why Audible hasn't uh, jumped on that train yet. I guess because it's kind of like Hotel California, right? You can check out any time you like. You can never leave. And if you do, you'll <laughs> you'll lose all your content. So Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, they do. They keep you in the system that way. And a lot of people don't realize that they are stuck in the system. And we yeah. get all sorts of people who ask us, you know, hey, what's the difference? And when when we tell them that, hey, if they were to delete their Amazon account and they lose their audiobooks, it blows their mind. They just don't know it. And we'll talk a lot more about accessibility in a sec, but just tell me a bit about the price comparison between what you have available and Audible. In some, but not all markets, I believe, you do have a monthly subscription plan. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, North America, United States, uh, mainly right now, we do have a monthly plan that's one credit per month. and That, that made is me grumpy. Pretty- 
when I when I found I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> why why can't we it. have that here in other countries? We're we're working on it. Really, actually, it just comes down to a currency issue. There's so much um, so much complication around different currencies that, uh, and we're we're a small team. You know, we don't have 1,500 employees like Audible. We have uh, 15, and that's twice what we had six months ago. So you know, there's a lot of things we're working on, and we wish we can get it done right away, but we just need to fit into our roadmap. But um, back to your question about price. So we do have the monthly membership in the United States, and that's pretty much a one-to-one comparison with Audible. It's $15 a month. You get one credit that can be used on any audiobook in the system with very, very few exceptions. And so there it's, it's pretty much the same price. And then we also allow people to do on-demand purchasing, which means you just buy an audiobook when you want it with no monthly commitment or membership at all which um, is a lot easier to do through us than Audible. And even on that kind of a la carte or, or on-demand uh, model, we're pretty comparative, usually within 5%, sometimes higher, sometimes lower, of Audible. The one spot that they do tend to beat us on price is that they throw in lots of um, Audible original freebies. Um, and generally, you know, they're not the highest quality titles in the world, but it's you know something that only they can have and so they'll throw those in as little member perks here and there but if you're really looking at just a straight price comparison either on on-demand pricing or monthly pricing uh it's basically the the same and so what we like to say is it's you know the same audiobook because it's literally is the same recording it's the same price but it's a different story because instead of sending your money to you know amazon and jeff bezos you're sending your money to the local bookstore of your choice and MP3, is it, that the books come down in? Yes. So you can download the book and just put it anywhere, and you also have uh, apps as well that people yes. can listen through. So it's sort of, although it's DRM-free, it, it does kind of emulate that experience where if you want to consume everything through an app, you can absolutely do that. Yeah, we so we basically you know tried to find the best of both worlds. So for those consumers who don't really care about, you know, actually having the mp3 files on their you know computer at home or whatever we do have um, apps available through um, the ios store or the google play store they're both free and they sync up with your purchases in your library so when you buy an audiobook or redeem your your monthly credit for the month it shows up instantly within the app and then you can play it through the app you don't have to worry about downloading the mp3s or anything of that nature but on the flip side, if you would rather have complete control and download the MP3s onto the player of your choice, you have the ability to do that through the website. And I must say I have done this. So I bought a book and I downloaded it and then I transferred it to Voice Dream Reader, which is a very popular iOS app in the blind community. And it was a snap. And uh, I thought this is this is super cool. And that segues us nicely into finding out about accessibility. Robert, you've been on the bandwagon, what, for a couple of years? Mm-hmm. Yes. The good thing about working for them, because I've worked in corporate machines for years and years, is that um, there's a certain level of intimacy working for Libro FM um, because these people really want to learn about accessibility, not just ticking a box. Because uh, in meetings and everything, they ask me, um, you're making changes and everything, 
Could you tell us how a screen reader works or how this will make things better because we really want to learn versus lots of larger companies that I've worked for where basically accessibility is just a box and they tell me, okay, well, how do we make our thing accessible? And have you been responsible for some specific improvements? So, for example, when you first discovered Libro FM, was it less accessible than it is now? Yes. So, so one of the major, major things is that for keyboard users, and this applies to people using switch controls and everything like that, you could not download your books smoothly. You had to navigate a menu on your account page that wasn't really keyboard friendly. So basically, I just wrote to them and said, hey, I really like the service and I really like the idea, but I can't use it. So they basically said why. And from then on, I have been working with them to make things uh, usable plus successful. And my goal to cover multiple disabilities as well, to try to make things more accessible for those who may not use a screen reader, but use the keyboard and uh, things like that. And were you aware of the accessibility market at all, Nick, before being contacted? Is it something that was on your radar? It was on our radar in the sense that I think it's on a lot of web designers' radar where you know, oh, let's put in some alt tags on our images and let's, you know, try to use proper, you know, HTML heading practices, but not really on our radar of, oh, what is this really like, you know, using a screen reader? You know, what is this really like trying to go through these processes like purchasing an audiobook or downloading an audiobook or whatnot? You know, I would say we had a really surface level understanding of accessibility and Robert among others because we we received other emails from people with observations but Robert was by far the most detailed and not only did he observe you know what was going on but he gave us suggestions on yeah this is how you can improve it he really kind of made us more aware of where we were lacking and that's where myself and my colleagues started peppering him with questions and probably probably did that you know, for too long before we actually formally brought him onto the team. You know, we probably should have brought him onto the team sooner. But again, just the size of our company made that tough. But um, yeah, he's really helped us, you know, understand, you know, or take a deeper look at it and understand why. And as he just mentioned, really look at it for, for all different sorts of disabilities, not just people who are blind and things of that nature. In fact, Robert and I were just having a discussion yesterday about updating a part, portion of our site and he kind of brought some perspectives to it that I hadn't even thought about. And what's really interesting, though, that I've noticed through this whole process, specifically with the website, is if you're ordering the information properly for a screen reader, at the same time, ordering it more logically for a sighted user who is visiting the website. And when you're adding, you know, maybe additional headlines for the screen readers to, to tell that person, you know, what this next section of copy is, that's also making the site more understandable for someone with, you know, with no visibility issues who's navigating through the site. So it's a win-win across the board. And um, it's been a really fun learning 
you know, process for me as a designer to kind of think about it from this different perspective. How would you rate the state of accessibility of LibreFM at the moment, Nick? Would you say there's still more to do? Oh, definitely. I, I mean, I, I Robert would probably be able to give a better answer in terms of how we compare to other services and whatnot out there. But I think there's always room for improvement. I, I definitely know there's room for improvement with Libra site and, and app and other things. But in terms of where we kind of sit in the, you know, the larger conversation through other services, Robert could probably answer that better than me. Right now, in terms of screen reader support, you're going to have a much, much, much smoother experience. Um, so now my goal is to kind of flesh things out more for those who may be using magnifiers, for example. So right now, um, the accessibility is really good, actually. I'm super proud of us and the team and everything. But as you know, accessibility is never a feature to just do and kind of forget about it. Um, accessibility is a constantly evolving beast that you have to learn to navigate and everything. So we're working on becoming more inclusive, not just accessible. That's an interesting distinction. And often you do find that something is technically accessible, but it's not the most user-friendly mm-hmm. thing in the world. Yeah. In terms of the future, uh, Nick, uh, how do you see it playing out? I, I, I guess I don't expect you to spill the roadmap here on the <laughs> podcast, but I, I know, for example, that there's a range of um, plans that Audible offers. So you have the one credit, but then you also might yep. be able to have two a month, or you can even buy credits in bulk for a year. Uh, and yep. obviously there's the international situation that we've already talked about. Um, are there are there more things on the horizon? Oh, I could probably talk for about 12 hours about all the different <laughs> things we have on the horizon. But some of the biggest and most immediate things, um, you, you touched on a few of them right there. Um, definitely, you know, our international expansion will be happening uh, probably next year. Um, you know, like I said, figuring out some of those currency issues and things of that nature. But we're we're really excited about that. Different monthly membership options. So for people who want more titles per month, you know, maybe two credits or three credits a month, or people who want less, you know, one credit every other month. You know, different monthly um, options are going to be coming out there soon, along with the ability to buy on an annual plan, so you can just buy all your credits at once. Uh, you know, a lot of that stuff, those kind of under the hood things are are in the works. But we have a lot of other things, uh, some really big updates to the app environment for both iOS and Android. We'll be rolling out. Actually, I think we have a decent change coming in the next week or two. And then um, later in this year, some some really big um, app improvements coming, um, some web improvements. And yeah, there's a lot of other things I'd love to talk about, but uh, but not yet. So it sounds like you're firing on all cylinders there, though. Yeah, we've had, you know, we've been, you know, I think the company's about almost seven years old now. And we kind of flew under the radar for the first couple of years as we were just building, you know, the system, the groundwork and all that. But we've really kind of started hitting our stride um, over the last couple of years. And this year, even though it's been such a challenging year for so many people in so many ways, um, we've actually been in a really good spot where, um our company, this the way we're structured, going to remote working and working from home, that's how our company's always been. We don't really have any central location. And so it wasn't that much of a disruption, except we all now have our kids in the background of our meetings yeah, right. uh, during the day. But hey, that's fine. Um, but we're also able to really step in when all these physical bookstores 
were forced to close because of uh, COVID-19, we were able to help them keep some business and, and drive people to audiobooks and, and support them that way. And we did some really great initiatives to raise some money for bookstores and booksellers in need. And then with all the um, you know racial upheaval and injustice that's been happening, um, you know, a lot of the physical books were sold out and a lot of people were really trying to educate themselves, which was great. And so we had all these audiobooks available and we we're able to do a lot of really cool things around that, supporting bookstores and educating people. So, you know, we've been very, very lucky and very blessed this year to have come through a lot of the stuff that's going on, you know, pretty successfully and actually been able to grow. We hired on um, when a lot of the bookstores closed, we hired on a dozen booksellers temporarily just to kind of help us out, help them out. And then after um, after that period, we actually hired three of those booksellers on full time because they were just rock stars and, uh, you know, were such a great addition to the team. So, yeah, firing on all cylinders is a really good way to describe it. And um, it's been really fun to, to see what's been happening with the business and to be able to support so many great local bookstores. Do you support self-publishing on Libro.fm if someone wanted to produce an audio book and sell it through you? Uh, yeah, they could certainly sell it through us. I mean, we don't do any of the publishing or production ourselves, but if they were to partner, you know, with whatever their publishing partner is, um, you know, and then distribute it through us, they certainly could. We have a lot of self-published authors who distribute um, through, I think, Authors Republic and Find Away Voices. Those are two services that um, we partner with all the time. So, you know, if there is a self-published author out there who wants to do that, just you know, reach out to us and uh, we can point them in the right direction. We have a really great page. If you go to Libro.fm slash authors, that talks a lot more about what we do and how we partner with authors and how to get your audiobooks into our platform. Nick Johnson and Robert Kinger joining us there from Libro.fm, a really cool service. It is so nice to have all of these books that are completely, as they say, uncaged and you can just listen to them and you can keep them. Keep them on your hard drive if you want. Burn them to a CD. Listen on whatever device you like. Really cool service. It's Libro. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. And thanks to the peeps at Libro FM for realizing that a lot of our listeners here on Mosin at Large love their audiobooks. And so you're going to love Libro FM and what we have to offer you. The first is that when you sign up, for a monthly membership where one is available with Libro FM, it'll cost you $14.95 US and you get one audiobook per month, which is a sweet deal. So you get one credit to spend on any audiobook per month. If you sign up using the coupon code MOSEN, that's M-O-S-E-N, and we'll put a link to this in the show notes of the podcast, then you will get a second audiobook free for your first month, and you just use the coupon code MOSEN, or you can choose the link that we will put in the show notes. And I'll tell you what I'll also do. I'll put that link on Twitter. If you're listening to this show live on Mushroom FM, I will tweet out that link from the Mosin at Large Twitter account using the Mushroom FM hashtag. And we have a second deal for you as well. And this is just going to go to one lucky Mosin at Large listener. Anyone who makes a contribution over the next week from now until the beginning of the podcast next week, who also says in their email that they would like to be put into the draw for the Libro FM deal, will go into the drawing for a three-month membership with Libro FM. That's three months 
over $14.95 membership, so you get three books on us. Now, I am going to limit this to email only. It can be an audio email. It can be a written email. That's fine. We won't do it via the phone number, and the reason for that is it just makes it easy for me to email you a special link to claim your prize if you are the winner. So email an audio attachment or write your email down and mention somewhere in that email that you'd like to be in the drawing for the Libro FM membership, and you will be, and we'll make a drawing on next week's edition of the podcast. Thanks to Libro FM for making these available, and a reminder, the coupon code MOSIN gets you an extra audiobook during your first month of membership with Libro.fm. And you know what's really cool? While you're enjoying a book on any device that you like, hassle-free, you're also supporting your local bookstore. What's not to like? To contribute to Mosin at Large, you can email Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com by writing something down or attaching an audio file. Or you can call our listener line, it's a US number, 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. Mosin FM.